Welcome back to the Mega Theorem Club podcast. My name is Sean, and I'm here with my buddies Spencer and Zach. And as usual, we will be your host today. For anyone that might be new to this podcast, we're a group of friends inspired by the original Mega Theorem Club from the 1800s. These guys were a group of scientists, naturalists, paleontologists, and general badasses. In today's world, we can't exactly just go around exploring and collecting specimens for a living. Well, you can but it's a lot harder and you might not make a lot of money so we are here to discuss fascinating organisms throughout time whether that is plants animals insects or other living things we want to share our passion for them uh, with all of you and hopefully you learn something when you listen to us sometimes we get off track a bit but that is half the fun do you, either of you guys want to add to that i, I realize it's been a while since we discussed kind of our purpose yeah, I agree. We're just we're just having some fun, and uh, like always, we are we welcome uh, listener submissions at any point. So, yep. And speaking of today's theme, was brought to us by Greg Polka Polcha. Sorry if I butchered that. Out of Ohio, Greg wanted to hear an episode on cryptids, and from there, I will let Spencer take over. Yeah, so I also have to do a quick shout out. I got an email today from Simone, and uh, this is a student I worked with over the summer. And she emailed, and out of the blue, here comes this email. And she loves the podcast. She listens while she's doing her dishes. And she <laughs> requested an episode on cryptozoology. So the nice. odds of recording this episode today, everything's coming together. It just works like clockwork. And, you know, so shout out to you, Simone. Thank you for listening. Thanks for reaching out. The pictures were wonderful of DC. Uh, yeah, you, you've inspired a potential new episode from your <laughs> pictures. We won't give anything away, but yeah. So we'll kind of dive right into it. So today, cryptozoology, what is it? Uh, how are we going to talk about it? What does that have to do with you know, the real natural sciences. We'll kind of dive into all of that. Uh, but cryptozoology is a multidisciplinary field of study that explores and investigates the existence of creatures reported in folklore, mythology, and anecdotal accounts, but for which there is no scientific evidence. That's the key word here. There's no scientific evidence. There might be that anecdotal he said, she said type of evidence, but in, in the literature, there is no scientific evidence to support these things. And once there is, something no longer is encrypted at that point, because the term cryptozoology is derived from the Greek words cryptos, meaning hidden, and zoology, or the study of animals, so hidden animals. And once we actually scientifically describe an animal, it's no longer hidden. It is just zoology at that point. Those that study it try to uncover those creatures that live outside the realm of mainstream zoology. And this is where it kind of gets interesting. Some definitions will give you through the scientific process. But if you are a cryptid fan and you're a fan of cryptid shows, like all the Bigfoot hunters shows that you see on the History Channel and Animal Planet, some don't use the scientific method to try to find some of these creatures. Uh, but either way, somebody is trying to find an animal that is hidden. Now, not every cryptid is something mythological, like the griffin or the chimera from European mythology. Some are just real animals that once existed, were thought to be extinct, but there's anecdotal evidence of some farmer that claims they saw this creature that was thought to be extinct, but 
hey, they saw it. Well, now we're going to go looking for it again. That's a form of cryptozoology. And true hardcore cryptozoologists really don't like throwing in mythological monsters and creatures into cryptozoology because their definitions are, this has to be an animal that is based in real life that could actually exist on this planet. So not a dragon, those we save for the folklore, we save for the mythology. But in mainstream cryptozoology, it includes everything that you can think of, you know, the three that we're going to probably talk about today, in addition to the ones like Bigfoot, the Yeti, the Jersey Devil, yada, yada. So, Mothman. <laughs> Mothman, my favorite. <laughs> well, not my favorite, one of my favorites. So yeah, I'm actually not covering my favorite today. Maybe that'll be a, a future episode if we do this again. Let's get into it. So I think today we're going to each talk about one cryptid that we kind of found and discovered. Talk about it, maybe some of the folklore behind it, where it came, where it comes from, what culture it's from, and then kind of dive into are there real life counterpoints to these cryptids that that we're going to talk about. So that's kind of the overview. I'll start it off today, and the first cryptid of the day is the Thunderbird. Uh, have either of you heard of the Thunderbird? I think so. I've heard of it. Heard of it, yeah. So this is a pretty great one. I actually, the reason I did this was I just bought a uh, like a glass at an antique store that has the Thunderbird on it in Pacific Northwestern art style. And I was like, oh, well, I think things are lining up even better. So I decided <laughs> to do the Thunderbird. But the Thunderbird and its, you know, associated relatives are figures in many groups throughout the world. But the ones that we contribute mostly to the Thunderbird when you say Thunderbird belong to the indigenous tribes of North America, specifically tribes in the Great Plains, Pacific Northwest, and the Great Lakes regions. The Thunderbird is a powerful supernatural force, often taking the shape of a large bird of prey like an eagle. Uh, many iterations can create thunder with its wings, hence you know, the Thunderbird. And so these things get up into the sky and they flap their wings, creating thunder. And in some, not all versions of the Thunderbird, when it opens up its eyes, it shoots bolts of lightning out. Um, so it is, it, it's, yeah, it's pretty cool. In my opinion, it, it essentially creates the thunderstorms that you might see across the Great Plains. So, so it's just a Zapdos. Is that what you're saying? <laughs> that's exactly what it is yeah you, you gotta go um, to the power plant to find it yeah yeah that's that's what powers our our whole society yeah the thunderbird yeah well uh that's actually quite funny that you bring it up and so <laughs> anyway the idea is that thunderbirds are constantly at war with other forces and many of the great lakes tribes like the algonquins you'll find that they have evil spirits uh, like giant serpents that roam and hunt humans. Well, the Thunderbird is, is a guardian of humans, and their job is to essentially open up their eyes and shoot these lightning bolts at these uh, underwater serpents that try to eat and kill humans. And uh, if you go back far enough into the lore, that Thunderbirds were actually the humans that helped create the universe as we know it today. And they were basically transformed into Thunderbirds to guard over their creation. Uh, so yeah, the Ojibwe people believe that the Thunderbird is at war with under with also some serpent creatures 
And in the Pacific Northwest, you'll find that Thunderbirds are actually at war with oceanic creatures and will actually, you know, there's been claims of people, you know, long time ago that have seen Thunderbirds hunting and killing whales in the ocean. Uh, So if that can give you already a sense of scale for some of these things. But overall, you know, despite the each of the different tribes that have some sort of Thunderbird force within their culture, there's kind of one uniting thing about them is that most of them are these guardian figures for the people. They're fighting off the things that want to destroy us, but, you know, they're not all good in that aspect. They're not perfectly good beings you know some because they can create this weather that's great Uh, they can bring rain when it's time to you know water the crops but they can also bring these fierce thunderstorms and tornadoes and other uh, severe inclement weather patterns when they're angry and they're so they're also something that should be feared and you'll find that a lot in each of the different the different tribes that have a thunderbird associated with them now, for the size of the Thunderbird, they're big, obviously, if they're able to hunt whales from the ocean and kill them. Most average out at around uh, of a wingspan at around 75 feet. <laughs> uh, but some, yeah, some go as small as 16 feet, which if you refer back to our other episode, is definitely within the realm of a possible flying animal. But most because this is uh, like a, like a godlike creature they are they are massive so but now to kind of switch and turn gears into the scientific counterparts what what have we actually observed in the fossil record where did these cultures maybe get inspiration behind them and again i'm uh, i i should just do a quick we're not here to say whether these creatures exist or not because I'm not any in any of these tribal nations. So I'm not part of their culture. I'm not here to, to disprove any of their beliefs because many people within these tribal groups still believe in the Thunderbird. And so I'm not saying that it doesn't exist, but what I am going to talk about are the real-life counterparts and possible explanations scientifically as to where cultures might get this idea from. Two episodes ago, uh, once this one is released, that the largest flying creature that ever lived was the Quetzalcoatlus, which was a large pterosaur that maxed out with a wingspan of around 39 feet. Absolutely enormous. Not that 75 feet, but still gigantic. There's some people that say, okay, well, obviously, you know, these pterosaurs went extinct 66 million years ago, so there are no humans around to observe them, but maybe groups were finding their bones and saying oh my gosh look at the size of these potential flying creatures yeah and you'll find that a lot within the examples that i'm going to bring up today at least for the extinct animals but overall people are like "Mm, probably not necessarily taken from the fossil record but we don't know this it's a very old old tradition or cultural aspect so we we don't we can't pinpoint it we can't say anything for sure so anyway, okay, so if, if it's not Quetzalcoatlus, what might it be? I think I'm going to have to do a quick shout out to Ark again. <laughs> they nailed it on the head with the two largest flying birds of all time. The Argentavis, which is a carrion-like feeder. Uh, it's a genus uh, with a maximum wingspan of up to around 21 feet. The Argentavis was thought to believe the heaviest bird that ever existed on Earth. That flew? Yes, that flew. Yeah, sorry. Good point. Wait, where where was Argentavis discovered? Where where can you find those bones? So I, I'm glad you brought that up. You gave, you gave the spoiler away, but likely not because these are in South America. 
all uh, the way down in Argentina. So unless if, you know, there there is some evidence that people, you know, did canoe up the coast possibly, but it's like, okay, did they, when did, when did the Thunderbird come in? Uh, did it spread from the south to the north once humans had established their range in all of North and South America? We don't know. Possibly. Could be. But again, the Argentavis went out, went extinct um, many millions of years ago. And so they weren't around when humans were around. So it'd be working again from that fossil record. Now, the largest or the the longest wingspan of any bird that has ever lived, again, Ark nailed it on the head with which one? Which one did I always try to get when I was in the game? I'm embarrassed I can't think about it. Uh, it's, a, it's not the Ichthyornis. That's the other one. Nope, but it's one that you yep. can ride. It's the Pelagornis. Pe- yep. Thank you. Yeah, so... These were in North America. Pelagornis actually lived all over the world. Uh, This is a a genus. And there's examples in almost all continents. But the largest did happen to live in North America. Discovered in South Carolina, I believe. Yeah. And they lived around 25 million years ago, at least the largest ones. But examples of Pelagornis survived up until about 2 million years ago. So again, working with the fossil record. Now, they had a wingspan of up to 24 feet, making them technically the longest birds uh, or the greatest wingspan of birds that have ever lived. So, okay, well, if most cultural historians saying, okay, it's not necessarily they're pulling from the fossil record probably. Okay, so that must mean that they're pulling from animals that they lived alongside with. We live with some really big birds, but one that I do want to talk about that is actually extinct, but these their ancestors of these people would have interacted with is a genus of birds called the Teratornis, which lived in the late Pleistocene, right at the end of that last ice age. And they had a wingspan of up to 12 feet. These were giant birds related to the California condors, which I'll go, I'll talk about those a little bit more in a minute, but they were large birds, 12 feet. But unlike the California condors, they weren't necessarily carrion feeders, vulture-like. They were predators. They were able to unhinge their jaw and swallow prey whole. And so that makes it believe that, okay, they probably just ate things. Now, could they pick up a human and fly off with them like a thunderbird might be able to do? No, they could not do that. But they were really big birds that could have inspired some of these stories. And as time went on, story gets passed along and things change and things adapt and things grow or whatever. And all of a sudden you get these giant manifestations of what once was a real bird. But those went extinct at the end of the last ice age. But today in North America, you're going to have the California condor. It's a carry-on feeder, but it does have a huge wingspan of about 10 feet, so a little bit smaller, but still a really big bird. And again, okay, could be these creatures as well. Giant flying, you know, they are more vulture-like than they are eagle-like, but still that bird of prey look. And so it could be inspired from them. It's difficult to pinpoint the exact inspiration to the Thunderbird, but nonetheless, I think it's an amazing creature that deserves our respect culturally and from a cryptozoology standpoint i think it's a pretty cool one yeah so i'll end it there that's pretty cool i uh when you said thunderbird uh, one i want to say thundercats go uh two (laughs) i was not thinking of this creature i was thinking of the uh the giant eagle that lived in new zealand uh the hosts is that the hosts eagle 
Oh, the one that actually ate people. Yeah, <laughs> that was the, uh, evolved alongside the uh, moa, so basically a, a giant flightless bird, but an eagle, I guess, designed to eat ostrich-like birds. Um, yes. But, yeah, there have been man-eating birds in history, but uh, but not in North America hmm. when humans uh, have been around, at least. Crazy. Yeah, crazy. I'm pretty sure there's a there's a uh, a Magic the Gathering card that's called Thunder Rock R O C, and it's it's probably modeled after a Thunderbird. Don't know if you know the card or not, but it's very cool. Um, I I don't know, but I'll have to look it up. I I I tried to get every once in a while some cryptids and throw them into my decks. Nice. All I can think of is Zapdos. Still, so. still. <laughs> yeah, that's that entered your mind and never <laughs> left it. <laughs> yeah, that that's all I'm picturing right now is just Zapdos flying through like a, a thundercloud. Yeah. You see yeah, a giant fine. silhouette of a, like these sharp pointy yellow wings in a in a storm cloud. That's that's all <laughs> I got in my head. I mean, there's probably a good chance that, you know, Zapdos was inspired by the Thunderbird. So mm-hmm. many things have been inspired. Oh, it 100% there's, there's, was. There, there, oh, okay. <laughs> there's no question that it was 100% no inspired by the <laughs> An Thunderbird. An electric eagle? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Perfect, perfect. Yeah. I, uh, I have a board game called Carnival of Monsters, and it's a drafting card game, uh, and you collect monsters for your menagerie of monsters. Ooh. How many mo- times can I say monster in a row? <laughs> and one of the creatures is is the Thunderbird uh, proper, and it's pretty cool. So, yeah. Nice. All right. I, I, I'm sure. excited for mine. Uh, the cryptid I have chosen. Sorry, I got one question about the Thunderbird. Does his yeah. accuracy go up when it's raining? Like if you do a rain dance, does his, does his <laughs> does accuracy go to 100%? Does, yeah, I would imagine. Can he smite you like a, like Zeus? Uh, so actually, that was one thing that was brought up was uh, was a comparison to Zeus. And mm-hmm. Zeus sometimes takes the form of an eagle. Oh, yeah. uh, and then and impregnates so, human beings? Yeah, well, Zeus is... a bad <laughs> i think the thunderbirds uh they, i don't know how much smiting they did they they might have smited somebody at some point i mean uh smite is like intentional right like he right, thunderbirds yeah. probably you know did in a couple people on accident but like yeah i mean there's there's a really them. there's a cool art uh or you know uh, not photograph but artist illustration of some of these underwater serpents that the thunderbird would fight uh, especially in the great lakes region and it has you know it's it's a big giant snake and there's this guy standing next so maybe you know if it's raining uh, or not raining and the thunderbird shoots down electricity it might spread to that guy i don't know if <laughs> Dude, that's gonna do water, double damage so. super effective double, double damage super effective is that how it works with zapdos if his if it's raining, he's better. That's just thunder. It... Yeah, just the move thunder turns into 100% accuracy instead of 70%, I think. And, you know, ele- like thunder electricity is super effective against water type. Oh, that makes sense. Yeah, I didn't play a lot of Pokemon growing up. Uh, so kind of surprised. I, 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 yeah, I wasn't allowed to have video games. Um, huh when i was a kid i i bypassed that when i bought an antique the first generation game boy 
because it, I claimed that it was an antique, and so therefore <laughs> I could own it. And my and parents, you didn't I play Pokemon it. Yellow on it. It, I, I think it's older than that. I don't think it would have run Pokemon. Was that just Game Boy Color? I don't, I don't even know. It was the I one was cool before Game and Boy I started Color, with the Game so. Boy Advanced. Oh yeah, you were cool. Yeah, you yeah. were my dream. Yeah, so. I was pretty. I was pretty freaking cool. Yeah. Yeah. At some point, maybe I'll try to play it in my adulthood if I ever have time, which I don't. So I <laughs> can't see that happening. <laughs> All right. Well, let's. Uh, great question, Zach. Um, I think that was <laughs> for the Pokemon fans out there. A really good shout out to to all of them. So yeah, Sean. Uh, I'm excited to share the cryptid I chose today. Uh, the the cryptid I have selected after searching through various lists is the Mopinguari. I really hope I'm pronouncing that right. For any of our listeners that listened to episode two, you may remember I briefly discussed this creature already, but I thought it would be appropriate to revisit in greater detail. And let me try and set a scene for you. You're, you're a member of a primitive tribe living in South America several thousand years ago. Modern technology doesn't exist. Modern science is not a thing. Your daily world is surrounded by jungle and rivers. You are walking through the forest, looking for food to provide your family with, when suddenly you come across a creature you have never seen before. You startle the creature, um, and it rears up to its full height, easily towering over any human you have ever seen, and then some. This creature is probably as big as your hut you're living in. You look up at this beast, unsure of what to do next. This creature is covered in thick, brownish, reddish fur. It is standing on two legs as it looks down on you. You look up at its head and realize the only feature is one single eye that is glowing hot yellow. No mouth, no nose, or anything else on its head. As your gaze looks towards its chest, you find that missing mouth that you would normally see on the head of a creature, but instead it's smack dab in the middle of its chest, agape as it lets out a deafening roar. Its front limbs end in giant claws that appear as sharp as obsidian and could cut through any man. And then the smell hits you. You must have been upwind walking upon this beast as the stench alone um, almost stuns you when you breathe. Once the beast realizes you don't mean it any harm, it turns and leaves, disappearing through the jungle. Its footsteps being heard for miles as it walks. You return to your village to tell about this incredible creature. Word spreads and this creature becomes part of your culture, a symbol of the forest, a protector, if you will. The name Mapanguari means thing that has a bent or crooked foot or paw in Tupiguaprani. Um, sorry if I'm butchering that as well, <laughs> which is a subfamily of the Tupian language used throughout South America. Proto-Tupian, common ancestor language of all Tupian language, could date back as far as 3000 BC or further. This is an old language with an old history to it. Lots of culture passed down over the years, and the Mapanguari is part of that culture. But is this bit of culture a scary legend of some mythical force protector, or is it based on a real animal, and does the Mapanguari still exist? That Those are the important questions. Yeah, it's based off of the real animal Bigfoot. <laughs> yeah. The, yeah, I, was, I don't know about you, but I've never heard of a, an animal with just one eye and a, a stomach on its chest. 
yeah. Or uh, a mouth on its chest, uh, I mean. Uh, yeah. <laughs> no, no, no. I guess a lot of things do have stomach. Stomach is probably in still in its stomach. <laughs> yeah. um, well, if you were to look on Google today for the Mapanguari, one of the first things you'll notice is that it is often referred to as the Bigfoot of South America. Now, we all have a good image in our head of what a Bigfoot looks like. I'm, I'm pretty sure. Uh, a tall, man-like being covered in hair, resembling maybe a gorilla, but more bipedal. Big head, shaggy brown or black fur, just a really big ape, right? Well, let's dive into this a bit first. Could the Mapaguari be some sort of modern human relative or long-lost relative of the great apes? Parts of Africa and Asia are native to the non-human great apes, the, the gorillas, the chimpanzees, orangutans, bonobos, etc. Well, South... Wait, are bonobos great apes? Or are they just like yeah. monkeys? They're not monkeys. They don't have tails. But bonobos are just like a uh, very close relative of chimpanzees. Okay. Yeah. Aren't we technically more related to bonobos than chimpanzees? I don't know the answer to that, but I, I, I do know... I have heard that. I, I do know bonobos are like, and I'm probably, I don't know if it's bonobos or bonobos, but we, we all know what I'm talking about. Um, they are one of the few animals out there that like have sex for pleasure with like Yeah, isn't there like human... accounts of them giving each other oral? Well, I don't know that, but I, that makes sense. <laughs> I don't think Sean was prioritized <laughs> that in his research. Oh, just me? <laughs> Whoops. Um, well south america is not native to apes with humans being the only hominoid known to live on that continent at least in modern times what what about pre-modern times though as we have briefly discussed in previous episodes human evolution started in africa and then spread throughout the world the the americas were probably the last of the continents excluding antarctica for humans to reach Okay, it's not a human, yeah, yeah, but is it another great ape? Something that could look like a Bigfoot? The first thing many people think of when discussing Bigfoot is Gigantopithecus, shout out to Ark, or Gigantopithecus blackie. This ape lived 2 million to about 350,000 years ago during the Pleistocene. These apes have fascinated scientists since they were discovered in the 1950s. The size estimations have been anywhere from 9 to 12 feet in height, while others suggest a more gorilla appearance, but just twice the size of a modern silverback. The 2017 estimations by Ying Zi Zhang and Terry Harrison suggest a body mass between 440 and 660 pounds. That's pretty big. <laughs> they are actually... Have you... Oh, sorry. I was gonna. I just want to interrupt. Have you seen the new live? New. It's fairly old now, I guess. The live action uh, Jungle Book. Movie? Yes, dude. That was so cool. I actually like that representation, which leads me right into my next sentence um, of them actually being closer related to orangutans. Thanks. <laughs> then gorillas are humans. So in the Jungle Book, he just looks like a giant orangutan and. He's supposed to be a Gigantopithecus, which is pretty cool, I think. Um, and unlike depictions of Bigfoot, these apes were likely more quadrupedal, like you see a gorilla typically moving around, capable of standing and walking on two legs like a gorilla, but built to use all four limbs when walking. This is the creature that the natives in South America... Oh, 
But but is this the creature that the natives in South America ran into and made part of their culture through the stories? It is a bit unlikely. These giant apes lived in parts of Asia, like the Jungle Book movie would suggest. These fossils, um, which is where the fossils have also been found. Just be- Wait, I thought Gigantopithecus was like South Africa or Southern Africa. No. It's like, no? No. Is that, oh, that's Australopithecus. Yes. Yeah. Um, just because. Sorry, I got my Pithecai mixed up. <laughs> Australopithecus is more along the human evolution line, while these are removed a few steps. But just because we have yet to find fossils of them elsewhere doesn't mean they didn't live there, though. But it's unlikely. So, what other realistic possibility could the Mapaguari be? If you remember back to the first time I mentioned the Mapaguari, it was when I discussed the Megatherium, our sacred mascot. During our Beasts of the Pleistocene episode, uh, Megatheriums fit this description pretty well. Large, hairy beasts with a curved or bent foot, which we know is its like front claws, like an anteater would have to rip open its food or get at trees. Uh, it is a giant ground sloth, and these originated in South America, so it seems fitting. But there was one characteristic of the Mapaguari that stuck out that Megatherium supposedly did not have. Well, it's the the mouth on the <laughs> on the chest. <laughs> well, other than the the Cyclops eye of fire and the gaping belly mouth, um, and and I really have no idea what the Mapaguari smelled like. Um, or, or what Megatherium smelled like, so we're going to exclude those for now. But the Mapunguari is said to have skin so thick that no arrow or bullet can pierce it. The bullet part must have been added in later years, since I'm pretty sure the ancient natives didn't know what those were thousands of years ago. While this one piece of information doesn't exactly line up well with anything I know about the Megatherium, one giant ground sloth species did have armored skin. The Mylodon is a South American giant ground sloth that had rows and patterns of ossicles in its skin. And no, I'm not talking about the bones in your ear. These are little bumps, essentially. Wait, wait, wait. Back up what? Bones in my ear? Ossicles are bones in your ear. I never heard that one before. Right, Spencer? Yeah, yeah. Okay, yeah, so that's... I never heard that one. I, uh... I got kind of confused and did some research because I thought ossicles were bones in your ear, and uh, they are, and I thought bony plates of armor on animals are often called osteoderms, but they continue calling these ossicles, so I'm going to call them ossicles. And these are little bones. Yeah, I looked up the definition of ossicle, and it says, I mean, after a small bone in in the middle of your ear... Mm -hmm. Uh, it says, a small piece of calcified material forming part of the skeleton of an invertebrate animal, mm-hmm. such as an echinoderm. Yeah, that too. That's also why I was kind of confused. But the mylodon is, was rather interesting. Um, but they have these little bumps over their skin in patterns in rows that are pr- pretty much reinforced skin, like you said, calcified or, you know, basically bone in their skin that's not that different than an armadillo but without you know the bands but you can picture that outer piece of an armadillo it's all bumpy it's hard that's essentially what mylodons had underneath their fur 
And what would this have been useful for? Good question, and I think scientists have some theories, but haven't settled exactly why yet. It was likely an adaptation from smaller ancestors that remained in their evolutionary line. And this extra protection would defend against predators, which there was an abundance of, including giant caiman. Though the mylodons were nearly the size of humans while on all fours, um, standing they would have been closer to seven or so feet tall. I do not think they would have been easy prey for many predators of South America with or without the hardened skin. Another theory would have been use uh, the, the skin would have been useful between fighting males, uh, whether that's territory or over a mate, and the ossicles would have provided protection for that. They did wield, you know, that typical sloth claw that could be pretty deadly. So maybe in a, a fight, that extra thick skin uh, gave them some protection from just bleeding out instantly if they got slapped by one of those claws. And mylodonts also would have lived at the same time as early humans were, were arriving in South America. There are remains used by humans and in association with human artifacts dating to around 12,766 to 12,354 years ago. A, a section of mummified mylodont skin was discovered and analyzed to be around 13,000 years old. And this is actually the, uh, the chunk of skin that scientists did uh, some x-rays on to look at their bony armor ossicles and it was and this piece of mummified skin still had the fur on it and it was reddish which also lines up with most of the stories told about the Mapinguari and if they were confirmed to live alongside humans 12 13,000 years ago who knows how much longer they continued to do so that's just the the most recent evidence that we have that humans interacted with them so the mylodons have the curved claw, they're tall, they're covered in fur, red, you know, to be more exact, arrow-proof skin. But mapanguaris are, uh, are said to have one eye and a mouth on its stomach. Uh, what should we think of that? From, from what I read, only some of the stories suggest the one-eye feature. A lot of them report to. There also seems to have been a trend of increasing descriptions of this beast with one eye after stories of the Cyclops, you know, from the Spanish European region of the world, made their way to this new world in South America. Looking at pictures and art of this creature, I also had a hypothesis. One image I came across of the Mapanguari, or it could have been a Mylodon, I don't actually remember, but it doesn't matter. The animal was standing up and its head was turned sideways with and with the shape of its head, you can only see one eye because it's kind of like a horse head. And is this a possible explanation? Maybe the Cyclops was inspired by more uh, a more scary creature, but I imagine in a defensive display, a giant ground sloth would raise up on its back legs and stare down its potential threat. And with a large kind of mouth in front of its face, if you kind of want to think of like a shortened anteater or something, Maybe looking down its snout kind of uh, like impaired its vision. So if it turned its head sideways, it increased its ability to see the threat without its schnoz in the way. And so anybody looking at it would have only seen one eye. Just a thought. Um, as far as the belly mouth, <laughs> there, there were a, a <laughs> couple possible explanations like 
Maybe it is a scent gland where that nasty smell comes from, or a, a bipedal ground sloth holding its arms in a way that the claws could be mistaken for a mouth. But I still also have my hypothesis from the previous episode, modern sloth babies ride on their mothers, What's to say that isn't how giant sloths raise their young as well, or at least for a period of time. Maybe the underside is where the mylodont newborns could cling to while the mother walked around and didn't have to wait on its babies to keep up with it. And if the yeah, some some primordial pouch. Yeah, yeah. And with with the mom raising up on its hind limbs, maybe a baby could look like uh, you know a mouth, or like maybe the baby's mouth was opened wide and someone mistook that for the whole belly mouth thing. I I don't know. Um, do I think Mopaguaris are real and alive today? That is still a big question. I am a big nerd and love fantasy creatures. Part of me really wants to really wants them to exist. Mylodonts really seem to fit the bill here as far as the description and lining up with early humans. Could they still survive today? Somewhere deep in the jungle. I can't say they don't. There are recorded sightings on a page I found that, uh, or from the early 1900s to as recent as 2000. Like it was like every few years on this page, there was another sighting of this animal, and it kind of listed a couple stories. And it was actually really fun reading through them. They they were entertaining, and many of them involved peccaries. And I, I read this multiple places too, of how there was always some sort of interaction with peccaries. Like there'd be a hunter, and he was you know, looking. Could you could you d- tell me what a peccary is? Oh, a peccary is a new world pig, but they're not pigs, so you can't call them that. But basically, a, a... <laughs> what is it if it's not a pig? Uh, it's a close relative of a pig, but it's not a true pig. I don't have the scientific name of it off the top of my head, but I know it's. But it, it's a wild pig, basically. It's it's yeah. If you want to think of a hairy boar, but more primitive looking and smaller and in the jungle like it's yeah you're, you got you got yourself a peccary there ah uh-huh, okay um but yeah there's often stories of like people hunting peccaries and then all of a sudden like a mapaguari appears from the trees or appears from around a tree and kind of scares them off or um dude if i was a mapaguari i'd be all about those wild pigs Eating them or protecting shoving them? them in, right, shoving them right in my belly mouth. <laughs> well, if it's a ground sloth, then they weren't necessarily predators. And they're probably more herbivorous. But there is some stories of uh, Mapunguari where they, they, weren't, they wouldn't attack humans, but they would like kill like 100 cows in a night and rip their, rip their tongues out. Uh, I don't know if a mylodont would have done that. But... Um, that was the only thing, like, it's like carnivorous side, I guess, if we're thinking about the belly mouth creature with one eye. I could see that thing killing a bunch of cows for sure. Yeah. Yeah, all the, the pictures that I've seen so far have sharp teeth, like they are carnivorous. Mm-hmm. One of them is even really cute with a sideways mouth, I guess, like the the mouth is vertical. Slit is yeah, vertical. yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 Like if you just Google image Mopinguari, it's it's on the second row. It's like a Bigfoot it's Cyclops like, with a belly mouth. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's kind of like a cartoon, cartoonish. <laughs> yeah. it'd, be, it'd make a great sticker if if we had a Patreon that you could subscribe to and we could give you a sticker every month. This would be a great sticker for that. That would be cool. That would be pretty cool. Um, 
I will. Yeah, we'll talk about that. Later. <laughs> well, yeah. So, like half the pictures of Mapanguari are this Bigfoot Cyclops with a belly mouth, and the other half are a giant ground sloth. And I think, uh, you know, I support the idea of the ground sloth, but the other one is pretty cool looking as well. And so, did did you choose this because of our podcast? I, Namesake. I did. I, you know, I, I had remembered that I claimed it was similar to a Megatherium, and then I dove into it and was like, well, maybe Megatherium wasn't the best choice of similar creatures, but another giant ground sloth sure was. Yeah, I'd say, yeah, just looking at the skull, I'd I'd look at that thing and say, yep, that's uh, something from my nightmares. <laughs> Dude, in some of my research, I've been getting, like, now my algorithm tells me uh, or is giving me content on did the Megatherium or does the Megatherium still exist? Yeah, so I think there yeah. is like technically a cryptid of the Megatherium, but I don't know. I don't know. I didn't look too far into that one. I, I think Joe Rogan's podcast, not to give him attention, but they had an episode talking about somewhere deep in the you know Peru, do giant ground sloths still exist? Uh, and I think it was kind of in relation to this. And then there is a couple other potential names for the Mapanguari, but I don't remember them off the top of my head. But they're all kind of uh, ground sloth similar. And I think the Megatherium is just a, I want to say, common household name of giant ground sloths because not everybody knows about <laughs> Megatheriums, I'm sure. But They, they will. They will. Anybody <laughs> listen to this podcast, they, they know. No, they for sure know. Um the Megatherium Club, they know. Oh, uh, one one other thing I did find interesting about this was that multiple times uh, locals in Brazil, like natives, were shown, like, so scientists would go down and try to unravel the mystery of the Mapanguari. And they would talk with natives, talk with locals, and show images of creatures to try and either get a reaction from them or find a possible explanation instead of, you know, Bigfoot Cyclops. And they were shown, like, animals that were, like, shouldn't be there, just in case, like, maybe one's loose or something. So they were showing, like, tigers, gorillas, various bears, like, spectacle bears, which are down there, I think. Um, this... I think spectacle bears, are, aren't they in... Oh, yeah, those are in South America. They're South America. I was thinking of the sloth su- bears in yeah. Asia. Um, so they, they showed those, and... But they didn't... They wouldn't get reactions about these creatures... Uh, but when they showed an African anteater, which obviously shouldn't be in South America, uh, they would get comments like, oh, that's like the Mapanguari. Like, it's got claws like the Mapanguari, but it's, I mean, it's different, very different and smaller. But like those claws, Mapanguari. And one person even was like, oh, I saw a Mapanguari. It's down at the museum. And this museum had a giant ground sloth display. And so... I don't know exactly who they were talking to. I was under the impression they were talking with more like native, like tribal people, not your everyday people in Brazil. And I think it would be really cool if there are some giant ground sloths still roaming around deep in the jungle. But that's that's all I'll say. Yeah, I'd, I'd say that'd be pretty cool. Have you ever seen, I'm sure you have, uh, the skull of an elephant? Mm-hmm. Oh, are you, I know where you're going with this. Yeah, the I mean, it's fairly common knowledge in the world of cryptozoology that 
the skulls of ele elephants are probably and most likely the inspiration behind the cyclops that you would find in Greek mythology and even uh, even you know. But it wasn't just the just yes. elephants, right? Like there were pygmy elephants or something that lived closer to like Greece and that that would have died. Yeah. So they were like. Yeah, but like the idea. Yeah, sorry, but the idea of an elephant esque yeah. yeah. skull. So my idea for you know the other one is uh, what if these people as they were traveling through you know found uh, you know mammoth skulls and mastodon um, yeah. skulls and. It was like, oh my gosh, what the heck is this creature? And then they saw this, you know, this gra ground sloth, and they're like, well, there it is in in, in the flesh, yeah. and we've seen the skull, and blah blah blah. I don't know. I'm just throwing some some of my own ideas out yeah, there. Yeah, that's true. Yeah, the, I I I don't think um, the last time when I briefly discussed the Mapaguari in episode two, I I did not know people thought it was this cyclops thing. I knew they talked about the belly stomach, but. At that point, I didn't know about the, uh, the Cyclops. So when I was redoing the research, I was like, what is this? <laughs> it's beautiful. Yeah. Well, Zach, what do you have to talk about? Well, today I have a creature that, you know, we actually have evidence that it actually existed in real life. We have fossil evidence of it. And that, my friends, is the Megalodon. The Megalodon, it makes our cryptid episode due to a veil of conspiracy theories surrounding it, which the more I looked into, I can actually kind of understand why confusion exists, but a little bit more on that later. But uh, the Megalodon is a species of what's called a megatooth shark in the family Otodontidae. Uh... Now, Megalodon could have also been in our larger-than-life episode because it is well-known as the biggest shark to have ever lived at 60 feet long and weighing in at up to 65 tons. It's actually bigger than today's whale sharks, and by some estimates, it's over three times the size of today's largest great white sharks. Uh, this monster of a shark is seen in the fossil records starting in the Miocene about 20 million years ago, and it went extinct, I mean, relatively speaking, recently in the Pliocene about two to three million years ago. Uh, so this, um, actually, never mind, cut that part. Uh, because shark skeletons are cartilaginous and not made of bone like the skeletons of like you and I and most animals, Fossils from their body are actually exceptionally rare and only known from two vertebral columns and a few vertebrae. But the bony parts, mainly their palm-sized teeth, like look at your palm, the palm of your hand, and imagine a shark tooth going from the bottom all the way up to your fingertips. And that is a megalodon tooth. My my dream is to find one someday. You Dude, honestly, like you, you got a pretty good shot at it. Um, I know that's the cool thing. Yeah, because I mean, sharks, they within their lifetime. Okay, so this was going to be a little bit later in my in my little speech, but um, people thought or people think that megalodon would lose up to forty thousand teeth over their lifetime. Each one of them would shed forty thousand teeth, and. Oh. <laughs> Those fossilized 
pretty freaking easily. So yeah, Megalodon teeth. If you really want one, you you can go find one. It might it might, it might take a few vacation days. I'm pretty sure there's some uh, rivers in North Carolina that you can go and find shark teeth. I don't know if it's specifically any certain species, but um, I know there's some great areas in my state. You, there are, uh, and you can hunt for megalodons there. The whole creature, the whole creature, right? Yeah, the whole, yeah, yeah. The whole thing. <laughs> yeah, because they still exist, as I'm going to talk about later. Uh, <laughs> um, how big are those teeth that you're talking about in North Carolina, Sean? Uh, megalodon are they like size are they megalodon size or are they like you know inch and a half long well if they're inch and a half long they aren't megalodon are they no i i'm just <laughs> wondering if they're like megalodon or are they he or are they small or are they huge uh that doesn't necessarily mean that they are the megalodon that we're talking about because megatooth sharks is actually like its entire it's a its own entire lineage and megalodon just happens to be the latest species of megatooth sharks that we know about well when i lived in dc there's a lot of fossils along the chesapeake bay area and there's a few river outlets where you can go specifically hunting for uh, megalodon teeth and he said basically you can go up and down the coast mm that you know that east coast and anytime there's like a nice river outlet you can grab your snorkeling gear your scuba diving gear and go down to the bottom and shift you know shift through that stuff and find megalodon teeth specifically mm-hmm. so but i'm you know wow. there's i mean even in the day that i went out fossil hunting for shark teeth while i didn't find any megalodon teeth i mean i found uh you know uh, at least 50 ray teeth mm. and probably close to another 30 or so just shark teeth dude that's actually crazy and i think i smell a boys trip on the horizon <laughs> just yes. just saying but yeah that's actually really cool because and that that makes sense to me because megalodon uh opposing some of these you know conspiracy theories that it still exists was a, a coastal predator it did not go to the depths of the marianas trench it was a coastal shark so that completely makes sense to me that we could still go to the coast today where it was probably underwater at the time of megalodon's existence and but it was it was probably the coast at that time and we can find those teeth that's that's awesome now, have either of you guys watched the Meg or the Meg Two? I was gonna bring that up. <laughs> oh, that's part of that's late. That's later in my little talk. I've never <laughs> seen it though. I've never, I've never seen it. Or either one. <laughs> I've actually have never seen the Meg or Jaws one, two, or however many there are. Mm-hmm. I think I saw the end okay. of the first one, but that's well, you it. gotta watch Jaws. I mean, the Meg, the first Meg is. There's a second Meg. It's on Netflix. There's Meg 2. Yeah. The Meg 2 is not as good. But I mean, uh, I'm only part sequels are. But anyway, but the first one's actually really good. Mm -hmm. Uh, I don't want to spoil what you were going to say, Zach. So I'll let you continue on. Oh, I wasn't I wasn't going to say anything. But um, (laughs) yeah, part of part of the the confusion, I guess, around Megalodon is While I was doing my research, I actually found a couple of different scientific names for it. 
So as I said earlier, it's it's a megatooth shark in the family Otodontidae. That is not controversial at all. But the genus that it's in is is controversial that because I found uh, two different names for it in several di- from several different sources, including some really well known sources like the Britannica Encyclopedia and Science, the journal Science. Um, so Britannica calls it Carcaracles Megalodon. And I found a paper in the journal Science uh, that called it Otodus Megalodon. So already I can I can see there's there's confusion about what this creature is in the first place. And I will say that the the paper published in Science was actually the title actually kind of got me. <laughs> it was pretty funny. Um, cut this part out. I I need to find the the actual title. Um, oh yeah. So the, the title in the paper science was Cenozoic Megatooth Sharks Occupied Extremely High Trophic Positions. Like, no way. I never would have guessed that the biggest shark of all time was not on the top of the food chain. (laughs) But, um, to be honest, I didn't actually like fully read the paper because there was like geochemistry involved in it. We also think that uh, either whichever one you call it, Carcaracles or Otodus Megalodon, we think it was very closely related and it very much resembled modern day great white sharks, uh, Carcaridon Carcarius. Uh, they, they must have been very closely related because every image that I could find of a Megalodon just looks like somebody took a picture of a great white shark and blew it up to three times the size. That's, I mean, that's just how closely related they must have been, right? And size estimates for actual megalodon have been calculated based on the size of its teeth because, like I said before, that's one of the only things on it that can fossilize or fossilizes regularly. And it was based on the proportions of the teeth compared to the size of a great white shark. And... Basically, what they found was that Megalodon, it, or they estimated it to be about 60 feet long and weighing in at 65 tons. So that's, that's a big freaking shark. And its jaws um, were about 10 feet across. So you can imagine yourself, like just think about yourself. You could stand up upright inside the jaws of Megalodon. Like it could swallow you whole. It wouldn't even struggle. It it's just that massive. Yeah, uh, if I'm going to get eaten by a shark, I guess that's is it better to be ripped apart or swallowed whole and digested whole? Ripped apart cuz you uh, just want to sit Yeah, in a pool ripped of apart. Acid. <laughs> yeah. I guess you probably suffocate, You're... but yeah, you would suffocate, but still, like, just, like, end it. End it quick. <laughs> if I'm going to die, just, like, get it over with. Uh, no, it would be cool to live to say that you saw the inside of a shark's stomach. Yeah, I guess, would you... Is there a chance to get out if you get into the jaws? Could you, you know, pour some pepper in there? <laughs> Make it... And, uh, have it sneeze you out? <laughs> you could put, like, a... <laughs> 
Uh, never mind. I was going to say you could put like a sword in its mouth so it can't close its mouth. But, uh, oh, perfect. Yeah. But yeah. the sword would be, you'd have to have a sword that's like twice your body. <laughs> yeah. It'd be, your sword would be nine feet long. <laughs> yeah. So up until this point, I've mostly been talking about the, the Megalodon in the past tense. But as I, I sort of hinted towards before, um, what if it still existed? What if it still existed? Um, so suggested by uh, the Discovery Channel of all of all things, and exacerbated by pop culture films like Jaws and The Meg, again neither of which I have actually seen, and the the documentary or should I say mockumentary as they as the Discovery Channel described it, um. um suggests that megalodon might still exist and could still be stalking the deep um honestly in all of my research for this i i was literally googling stuff like proof that the megalodon still exists looking just looking for any sort of like you know credible even like halfways believable video of of a megalodon swimming through the ocean or any any sort of evidence you know like i'm sure anybody that's listening to this episode can't has seen or could google the old video of sasquatch in the pacific northwest this grainy film showing it and i couldn't find anything even as believable as that uh the only evidence that i found of megalodon still perhaps existing was the idea that we have only explored between 10 and 20 percent of our oceans and as we've already as we've talked about in previous episodes scientists have been wrong in the past on things like the coelacanth when they thought the coelacanth was extinct and at one point the the giant squid was thought to have been just a thing of the prehistoric past and maybe was uh, the inspiration for the Kraken. But uh, it turns out that the giant squid also exists. Uh, But I will say there is a huge difference between something that is, you know, 60 feet long compared to about six feet long and cave dwelling at extreme depths versus you know, the megalodon that is a coastal predator and not adapted for the deep. <laughs> Wait, so are you saying that the giant squid is only six feet long? I think he was... No, I'm saying the, the, oh, the coelacanth. coelacanth. Oh, I was like... <laughs> the coelacanth was, I mean, okay. two meters, which is yeah. a little over six feet. Gotcha. Um, so, like, megalodon versus coelacanth. Let's go with that. Megalodon, 60 feet long, coastal predator probably something we would have seen by now right versus the coelacanth which is you know a little over six feet long which is still a pretty big fish that's a big fish but it's also like extremely deep like it lives in in the depths it's adapted to that and it's cave dwelling so it's not something that people would necessarily readily run into unless you're like cave diving or accidentally dredge one up from the depths uh megalodon versus the giant squid uh the giant squid is i think a little bit smaller are they about 40 feet does that that's yeah. just off the top of the dome right now they're about 40 feet something like um 
Yeah. So still smaller than the Meg, and they live. But also, in also the, the giant squid. It might be that long, but a lot of that is just the two main tentacles. Yeah. Yeah. So it's not just like an entire body. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you're not getting chunky. like sixty-five <laughs> tons of shark. <laughs> That is not is not adapted to live in the deep like that. And there are some people that's like in my research, there was some argument like, you know, like it wasn't adapted to that at first. But then, you know, as climate started changing and water started getting uh, colder, actually, it was global cooling. That is one of the theories that Megalodon went extinct. Uh, they they adapted to live in the depth and they're they're hiding from us, which I had a I had a big problem with the word that they're hiding because that I mean that would mean that they are intentionally avoiding humans that they have no reason to avoid right like they're a, there's a, there's they're a sixty foot shark like what do they have to be afraid of humans I, I'd hide from humans. <laughs> I do hide from humans. Let's be honest. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I think I think we all do to some extent. That's what I'm doing right now, actually. Um, but yeah, um, any like I was as I was saying before, there's a lot of just like really bad evidence out there that megalodon still exists, and it's labeled as proof. Uh, there was one image that I saw of a beached whale that had basically the the last third of it, like the, the tail third, ripped off. And in the picture that I was looking at, I was like, I wasn't even sure that it was a real picture. I was like, if somebody told me this was doctored, I would 100% believe this is some CGI whale here that had the tail ripped off. And like its intestines are all over the beach and stuff. And the claim was that uh, a, a megalodon came up from behind and just like ate ate its butt, just ate ate the butt off, and left the rest of the whale. Uh, yeah, I I'm not I'm not buying it. Well, did you? <laughs> I'm just. Have you heard about mako not. sharks? They they're I, like I've heard I, I've heard of a Mag- mako shark, the, but I don't know where you're going. Their, their whole hunting strategy is to uh, like handicap their prey, and great whites will actually flee an area if makos are there because makos will like sever tails off. So that's where I was going. It, oh, it reminds me of makos. Makos are like an incredibly smart, fast shark, and their hunting strategy is just like take out your swimming capabilities and what are you going to do then? And great whites are like, I will leave. I will leave the area. So maybe interesting. Maybe that's... I've never heard of that before, but that I guess that does lend credence to, to this. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't really know why a shark of that size would have to incapacitate its prey before taking it. Yeah. Before taking it out. But you know, maybe, um, Maybe it was helping the Thunderbird. <laughs> it, it probably was. Yes, it was definitely helping the Thunderbird, but at the same time, just like taking taking a thunderbolt to the face. <laughs> yeah. They, the Thunderbird and the Megalodon have just a feud. Actually, they're they're fighting well, it, each other it, for the it same. It did whales. say that the Thunderbird tends to fight 
underground and underwater creatures. <laughs> yeah, so uh, obviously the Megalodon and the Thunderbird have it out for each other. So what would the Megalodon shoot out of its eyes? Uh, Probably freaking lasers, because they're freaking sharp with freaking laser beams <laughs> attached to their freaking heads. <laughs> yes, awesome powers. Good. I didn't think of that. That was that was the perfect answer. <laughs> I loved that. Yeah, that was great. Yeah. yeah. Okay. But anyways, there was there was one piece of evidence that like almost got me. Until, okay, it almost got me because it was an actual picture of Nazi U-boats with oh, like the gigantic <laughs> fin. You know what I'm talking about, yeah. Spencer? You've seen this one. You've you've I, seen I've the, seen the Discovery yeah. Channel mockumentary that well, of course i have yeah 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 but anyways i i hadn't seen the the mockumentary i'm gonna keep calling it the mockumentary because that's what it is it is not it is not based in fact it is not a documentary but anyways there's this image of these nazi u-boats in the water with these this giant dorsal fin behind them and then like the top fin of a shark's tail 64 feet behind that so imagine a shark that's you know probably like almost a hundred feet long which is way bigger than even megalodon was but that's what the discovery channel was kind of throwing out there as you know it it was meant to be a joke but people took it seriously and when that when i first found these pictures i was like oh shit like that's actually like a pretty good picture I don't really think I believe it that much, but that's a really good picture. And then I kept seeing it and uh, I kept believing it a little bit more every time I saw it until I found out that that picture was created by this Discovery Channel's mockumentary for the purpose of believing it, right? So, yeah, yeah. Discovery kind of did a lot of people dirty with those those cryptid mockumentaries. Yeah, which, I mean, to be fair, the Discovery Channel was very uh, clear that this is not based in fact. This is just for fun. And yeah, yeah. people just took it took it way too seriously. And they're like, no, Megalodon is real. Discovery Channel said so. And <laughs> it, just, it just took off from there. Um, there was another thing that I saw that uh, was claimed to be footage from the Coast Guard off the coast of Brazil. And I don't know, have, have either of you seen this one? Like the Brazilian Coast Guard or the U.S. Coast Guard? They just said the Coast Guard. And I yeah, don't I mean, know. it doesn't really matter. but I Yeah, it, I, it kind of matters. But <laughs> I guess I guess in the terms of like believability, it doesn't matter. But like. Why would why is America's Coast Guard off the coast of Brazil? <laughs> yeah, that's um, yeah. I don't they know. just said the Coast Guard, but um, yeah, there's some footage of uh, the Coast Guard in a helicopter rescuing somebody that's drowning out at sea, and in the top right corner of this video, you can see. It took me like three times because I'm colorblind and I I could not see this even when it was circled and highlighted <laughs> for me. Could not see this. Uh, but there is apparently this gigantic fish swimming underneath the swimmer that they're rescuing that apparently nobody in the helicopter noticed until they rewatched the video 
and they're like, oh my God, there's a, a gigantic fish under there. And they they went through the possibilities, like maybe it's a basking shark or a whale shark, but neither of those are known to swim off the coast of Brazil. So obviously the answer is it's a megalodon. And yeah, that's the next possible thing. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um I I can't tell you whether or not I think this was a CGI video or not because I I really couldn't see what they were looking at. I don't know what I don't know if there was even anything there or if they just highlighted a circle. <laughs> But like, <laughs> let's, uh, let's that's something this, for, this colorblind idiot. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I, it's something for our listeners to Google for themselves and see if one, if they see anything, please like at me because I want to know if this was real. I watched it several times looking for something and I just <laughs> could not see something. Um, but yeah, at me, email me. Uh, Facebook message me. I don't know. MySpace me. Tell me. Tell me if you saw it because I I could not. Um, yeah, that's that's most of what I've got on the megalod the megalodon. Uh, I will say I was watching a video. Uh, on on proof, it was titled "Proof the Megalodon Does Exist," and I went through. I went to the comment section. And I pull, I pulled this one out because I was like, there's no way anybody actually believes this one. And this is, this is what I found. One of the very first comments I saw, it says the ocean is a capitalized, huge mystery full of countless wonders. We couldn't even fathom. It's so deep. A human can't even try to reach the bottom, except we have. We, we have reached the bottom of the Marianas Trench, uh, but something like a Meg could. It also could evade the vision of people because it's so big it can move faster than anything if it tried. Who knows? The Megs could be part of why the waves and the currents flow the way they do. Definitely not the moon. Okay. Yeah, it's, it has nothing to do with the moon. The, the Meg is a.k.a. Poseidon. It controls the the currents and the waves, and yeah, it it exists there because we've only explored you know ten to twenty percent of the ocean. So, how can we say it's not actually there? Yeah, but. I don't think we technically can. I mean, that's the beauty of biology; we can't prove a negative, right? Mm-hmm. So. <laughs> It could be. It could be. We can't say it can't be, but we can say it's possible. But the overwhelming evidence says that it's not. <laughs> yeah. Do yeah. I want it to be? Yes. Of no. Course. Do Do I want a sixty foot, sixty five ton coastal predator to still be alive while I am in Colorado you know, boogie boarding off the coast of <laughs> Hawaii? Colorado. Yeah. While oh, I yeah, live those... on the front range of Colorado. <laughs> <laughs> yes, and all the trips to Hawaii that you and uh, you and I can afford. I've actually, uh, I actually worked in Hawaii for two whole weeks. Oh, that's right, you did do that. Yep. Uh, I, did you I see did Megalodon? That. I did not, but when well, on go. the weekends we got an Airbnb on the other side of the island, and we went just snorkeling. I actually went scuba diving. 
alone don't do that that was a really stupid idea of me but um yeah i i did that but on the beach no just north of us like it was the next beach while we were swimming somebody was attacked by a shark oh wow that's pretty crazy yeah and that oh and that same airbnb uh the host was talking to me and he was talking about scuba diving and i briefly mentioned that i was scuba certified and he was like oh no way dude i know where there's this tiger shark is do you want to go look at it with me tomorrow and i was and like you hard pass yes. hard pass i am not getting anywhere near that thing so you yeah just got to boop it on the nose yeah, oh, just boop. you just gotta go boop it. Just go boop to do it. It's just a water dog. That's all they are. Yeah, <laughs> a water a water puppy. When I was in uh, Cape Cod, the towards the later end of the season, you know, starting in uh, August and September, that's when the great whites come up from you know farther south because mm-hmm. the water is finally warm enough for them. Uh, it would, every other weekend it'd be like, well, the beach is closed cause there's a great white. And then there's one, one time that somebody did get attacked by a great white. Uh, Oof. I don't remember if they were killed or not, but it happens. It does not happen like it happens in the movies though. Sharks are. Should yeah. Not be one of, one of my favorite statistics is that there are more people that killed by falling coconuts than sharks. <laughs> Yeah, probably by yeah. cows. So, too, like, or yeah, this episode is not to put like the fear of God in your heart on sharks because they don't want you. <laughs> they really don't. Uh, most shark bites that you get are like a that you get like like it's a common thing. Most <laughs> shark bites are like a test bite to see like are are you actually something I can eat? And then they just go away. It just so happens that because we're obsessed with sharks, that at any time somebody does get bit, it makes national or international news and inflates the 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 view the public's view of it yeah while people today are actually causing species of shark to go extinct for their shark fin soup yeah and that's a whole nother big issue of course yeah we don't need to get into that today and we don't need we don't need to get too political about it but it's a thing yeah We'll just say, hopefully, the Megalonana still exists. Uh, I hope it hunts down Zach uh, next time you go surfing and leave yes. sharks alone in general. The next time I go surfing in Horsetooth Reservoir, I <laughs> the Horsetooth Reservoir. I really hope there the Meg is is lurking about. Hey, if bull sharks can travel up the Mississippi, a megalodon can easily live in. Dude, Horsetooth that's a reservoir. thing. I feel like I heard something about. Uh, bull sharks being in one of the great lakes i feel like it was like lake michigan or something i i think the farthest north a bull shark has ever been spotted is Iowa. i don't think iowa i don't think it made that it made it that far maybe southern missouri for anybody that doesn't know that's listening right now bull sharks have a weird capability of being able to survive in fresh water and because the mississippi drains into the ocean there are bull sharks that have been known to swim up illinois freshwater mississippi all alton illinois all the way up all the way oh wow furthest inland a bull shark has ever been seen which is a thousand miles from the gulf of mexico 
Jeez. That's a long way. That's a long way. Are either of you ever going to join me in my my life trip of canoeing the entire Mississippi? I didn't know that was your Dude, life thing. Yes. Fuck yeah. Yes. Can we get a ra- like instead of canoe? Can we raft? Well, I guess raft and canoe is like potato potato. Like we can carry our stuff in both. Yeah. Yeah. Sounds like all three of us. Sean, I volunteered. No, I I said yes. I just got. Oh, okay, perfect. Yeah. Well, boys let's, in let's a boat. Boys in a boat. The uh, Megatherium Club goes paddling. Yeah, I think we'll end it there today. Uh, thanks for sharing, everybody. And please, again, if you have suggestions, listeners, don't hesitate to reach out to us. Megatherium Podcast, or sorry, Megatherium Club Podcast at gmail.com. We love to hear from you. We've heard from a few fans so far. Keep it up. Just knowing that people are listening and mm-hmm. are, are engaged uh, makes it worthwhile. We'll eventually get some social media stuff going. I don't think Sean, Zach, and I are the social media gurus that other people are, but eventually, you know, we'll get a, hey, we'll get hey, a platform hey. uh, going. 10% of my job description is running our, uh, our uh, institution's Instagram page. Well, there you go. 10% of I you should be running 10% don't, of I don't even have the password media. or username for it, but that was a, oh, that was part of the job description. Okay, yeah. Well, then... Again, we you are know. not the gurus. <laughs> so, yeah. <laughs> Thanks for solidifying that for us. Uh, yeah, if there's a specific platform that you want to engage us on, that'd be great. I'm working... I think I've made a TikTok technically. I follow it. I'm the only follower. <laughs> Are you serious? Uh, I, I'm also our only I, Twitter follower, X follower. Yeah, uh, but anyway, thanks for listening. Uh, yeah. Thanks to the you know to you both for chit chatting, and we'll talk to you soon. Yeah, thanks for the suggestions. And as always, yeah, th- yeah, keep them coming, keep them coming, folks. And as always, how 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 how. how.